Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It was another nasty hit for Vontez Perfect. You know him from most of his time with the Cincinnati Bengals. Over the course of his career, he has racked up more than $4 million in fines and or lost salary, most of which for ugly hits like we saw in the Raiders win over the Indianapolis Colts. I'm Dave Briggs, home of Connecticut. Let's bring in Ross Tucker, home in Pennsylvania. What should the NFL do with Perfect? Clearly, he is going to be suspended, but will he just return to the same antics once he returns? Dave, I know there are people out there that are calling for Vontez Perfect to be suspended for life or at least the rest of this season or banned from the NFL. And I got to tell you, those people are... 100% right. He absolutely should be. Enough is enough. And this is not coming from some writer, reporter that never played. Look, I, I was borderline dirty. Like, I, I was called cheap or dirty at times by guys I played against. Now, I would submit to you that they were legal plays. It was a cut block on a bootleg or a cut block downfield or maybe a unnecessary hit on pass protection when I was freed up. But all legal, at least in my mind, Vontez Perfect has gotten out of control. He's been out of control at this point. Let me just read to you for people that might not understand everything he's done. Okay, November 2013, fined $21,000 for spearing Jets receiver Stephen Hill. Remember that guy? Uh, October 2014, fined $25,000 for twisting the ankles of Cam Newton and Greg Olson. You might be able to say, Dave, that spearing a guy was, uh, things happen, bang, bang, play. Ankle twisting? Really? December 2015, fine $70,000 for a combination of unsportsmanlike conduct plays against the Steelers. January 2016, suspended three games for that hit to the head of Antonio Brown that there's people that think Antonio Brown's never been the same since that hit. October of 16, fine $75,000 for stepping on LeGarrette Blunt. Again, no place in the sport of football for that. I'm not even counting the middle finger to the Bills fans that find him in 2016, but he got three more games for a hit on a defenseless receiver in August of 17. In October of 17, he kicked Steelers fullback Roosevelt Nix 
and got fined again. Then in March of 18, he got four games for PED policy. I won't even include that. Fined $112,000 last year for the hit to the head against both Antonio Brown and James Conner. Fined $54,000 for a hit to the head of Broncos fullback Andy Janovich last year. Now we have this play. Dave, by my count, that is nine different transgressions for on-field conduct, not PEDs, not giving the fans the finger. Nine. You're going to get it out? Get your phone out again, Dave. Nine (laughs) times. Nine times. Nine times. Now, this is number 10. He was ejected. For those of you that didn't see the hit, Jack Doyle, the Colts tight end, was on his knees on the ground. Vontez Perfect launches himself for a helmet-to-helmet hit to Jack Doyle that just made you cringe when you see it. Dave, I feel very, very strongly about this. If the NFL, who's, by the way, in CBA negotiations with the NFLPA, if they want to show the players, the fans, and the parents that they take health and safety seriously, this guy needs to be suspended indefinitely and at a minimum for the rest of the season. This will be his 10th suspension or fine for on-field behavior. It's not working. I think he should be kicked out of the league. They are not able to deter this guy's behavior. It's not working. I love the physical aspect of football. I love the violence of football. I love big hits. I was a borderline player. But this guy does not care. And the previous punishments are not working. Get his ass off the field before something really terrible happens, like frankly could have happened to Jack Doyle yesterday. And you hit on it. This is about the CBO. And will the players, look, the players will stand up for any wrongs. They will fight for Antonio Brown to get his money regardless of what that guy has done wrong off of the field. He is reportedly going to fight for some $60 million in grievances, even for his 2020 option year with the Patriots, that according to the reporting. But will the Players Union stand up and fight for Vontez Perfect if, in fact, the NFL wants to go beyond what they have collectively bargaining. That should be a moment where the players' organization, the players' union says, look, we have to stand up for the masses here and not the individual because the masses are being threatened by a guy like Perfect being on the football field, and Jack Doyle is the latest example. We shall see. Perhaps we will learn later today. Another hit that some feel was very dirty on Sunday – I happen to not think it was dirty. Josh Allen knocked out of the Patriots-Bills game on Sunday. Kind of a high-low situation. Jonathan Jones lit him up. He left the game. Um, And Sean McDermott, the head coach of the Bills, talked about that. He thinks Jonathan Jones made a dirty hit and should have been kicked out. Here's the Bills' head man. 
there's no there's no room in football for that. Um, it's a shame to see a player like Josh or any player for that matter go down with a hit like that. I asked for an explanation, and uh, I asked, you know, I thought he should have been thrown out. Um, but other than that, I'm not going to get into uh, um, get into that at all. That's for the league to get into. I'm watching that game in real time, and my reaction right away was, whoa, Josh Allen lowered his head. He has the option to slide. Then I thought, all right, sit back, watch the replay, and rejudge it. And it just got worse for me as Dan Fouts talked about Josh Allen being a defenseless runner, despite the fact quarterbacks Dan Fouts have the option of sliding, which he did not take. And I thought he lowered his head. I don't know what Jonathan Jones could have done. I didn't find that hit dirty at all. You, Ross? Well, I was okay with the penalty being thrown for it, uh, the the flag being thrown. Totally disagree with Sean McDermott about him being ejected and or saying there's no place in the game for it. Look, Josh Allen is 245 pounds. It was third down. He was going for the first down marker that was like two yards away. It's Jonathan Jones's job to not let him get to the first down marker. You said it exactly right. Number one, Josh Allen could slide if he wanted that protection. Number two, Josh Allen's 240 pounds carrying a Patriots defender at that point. And by the way, He's not a defenseless player at that point. He is a 240-pound man running. He is not afforded defenseless protection. It looked to me, Dave, like Jonathan Jones came in there and was trying to give him the shoulder as much as he could. But because Allen was leaning forward, their helmets hit. This was not Vontez perfect heat-seeking missile with the top of your head or the crown of your helmet. Jones came in like this. But in the process of trying to unload with the shoulder, their helmets hit. Totally agree with you. Totally disagree with Sean McDermott. I'm okay with the penalty, I guess, because there was significant helmet-to-helmet contact. But even that, I thought, was questionable. Well, I hate to totally agree with you. Uh, Here's what Bill's safety Micah Hyde said. He said, Brady would have been protected. He said, if someone puts that same hit on Tom Brady, that player would have been ejected from the ballgame. He wanted Jonathan Jones kicked out of the ballgame, much like his Bills head coach. We will await the fate of Josh Allen. Uh, Matt Barkley finished up for Buffalo. A couple of other quarterbacks on display, and one taking a beating between Houston and Carolina. And Deshaun Watson, my goodness, I can't help but wonder how long this talented young quarterback's career will last the way they failed to protect him. Yes, on occasion, he may hang on to the ball too long, but he was sacked six more times on Sunday. He has been sacked 18 times through four weeks and is just below the record pace that another organization that may have remembered that. Oh, yeah, it's the Houston Texans. They gave up a record 76 sacks to uh, David Carr back in the day. Carolina wins this football game, and we'll get to their quarterback situation in a minute. But is there anything Houston can do to prolong the career of Deshaun Watson Every time I see him take a beating like this, I think about Andrew Luck. 
Yeah, uh, dude, I'm I'm with you. Um, I also think about David Carr. And I, I got to be honest with you, though, more than Andrew Luck, I think part of it is on Deshaun Watson. And maybe some of it was on Luck. You know, Luck would take some shots. The line did not play as well as they did the week before against the Chargers. But I'm telling you, I really believe Deshaun Watson needs to do a better job of getting rid of the football. Even late in the game, I saw him taking some shots that he should not. The problem, and we've talked about this before, is the guy's like a magician. And a lot of times he's able to break free and make these huge plays that are the difference between winning and losing for the Texans. And as a result, he's going to continue to try to keep doing that. I just wonder how long he's going to last. Maybe it's not quite Andrew Luck. Maybe it's more like Cam Newton, but he doesn't look like a guy that's going to be playing into his late 30s, that's for sure. Extraordinarily talented young man gave a clinic about reading defenses to a reporter post-game. We'll try to get to that later on in the program. Meanwhile, Kyle Allen is 3-0 and in his NFL career, did not play outstanding on Sunday, but good enough to beat the Texans 16-10. The final thanks in large part to who else? Run CMC over 170 total yards. He catches 10 balls on 10 targets. He gets in the end zone. Not sure there's a better complete football player in the NFL than Christian McCaffrey. He is spectacular. But we should mention Cam Newton and all that's happening with him as he remains off the football field. Two main things. He has a vlog on YouTube in which he talked about admitting to hiding a pretty serious injury, at least the hiding the severity of it, to his team, the Carolina Panthers. Now you can understand why Ron Rivera was so frustrated about the questions because he simply did not know. Another interesting development I want to get your quick take on is some are speculating that Cam Newton's vegan diet, which he just started in the last year, is preventing him from recovering adequately. The Charlotte Observer did an interesting piece on this and talked to nutritionists. They talked to professionals throughout the industry, and they also acknowledged that it is tougher to recover from serious injury when you are eating a vegan-type diet. Do we have any right, as football reporters, writers, to question the diet of an NFL starting quarterback, Ross? I think I think if it's a guy that's not coming back from an injury in a timely fashion or has had the injuries that Cam Newton has had recently, I do think that it's fair to at least, I don't know if they're questioning him or his diet, but I, I do think it's fair for them to at least ask nutritionists if this could be a factor. Now, it's Cam Newton's right to eat whatever he wants to eat. It's his life. He doesn't need to eat certain things just because he wants to maybe get healed faster. And by the way, uh, there are differing minds that disagree on that. I read the story. I read the tweet. And below that, man, it was, I tell you what, people take their diets real seriously because below that it was, uh, people going back and forth about whether or not it could be the diet that's preventing him. And it, it, people take that, whoo, and I can't even comment on that. I'm not a nutritionist. <laughs> I don't know. I just know I think it's right for them to at least ask nutritionists if it could be a factor. I think it's fine. 
I, I too don't understand much about it, but what these nutritionists say is you just need more protein, more meat-based diet. If it's me, I'm doing TB12, man. I am going to eat whatever the hell Tom Brady is eating right now <laughs> because it allows him to continue to recover, and he looks like a younger man than Cam Newton despite the fact that he is 42 years old. So it, it looks like, crazy. sounds like, yeah, sounds like Cam will miss a couple of more weeks and Kyle Allen for the time being, is undefeated. Well, maybe Cam Newton needs to hire a different nutritionist. Maybe Cam Newton needs to hire Tom Brady's nutritionist. I know, it, Cam, hiring can be a slow process. Cafe Altura's COO Dylan Miskowitz needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants. You know what he did? He switched to ZipRecruiter. Smart man, Dylan. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and then invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. That's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it is no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter. It's the smartest way to hire. All right. Shortly, we're going to get to our man, Mike Fisher, 105.3 The Fan in Dallas, to ask the latest on the Dak Prescott contract negotiations. Also, Tyron Smith reports are a high ankle sprain and the way that Dallas offense failed to move the football on Sunday night. That could be significant. But first, one more game haven't had the ability to touch on just yet was a huge surprise to add to the theme on Sunday. Tennessee handily beats the Atlanta Falcons, who are now one and three. Marcus Mariota, three touchdown passes, two to young A.J. Brown, who looked outstanding. Matt Ryan throws for 397 yards in the loss, but he is sacked five times. And Atlanta's been outscored 65-10 in the first half in those three losses. So I ask you, first, Marcus Mariota, do you feel a little differently about Mariota, the way he's played early on in the season? And how long can Dan Quinn survive given the way this Atlanta team is doing just, well, let's just say it, they're doing nothing right as a football team. So for Mariota, that was his best game in a while. I'm still not sold on him. He needs to stack them week after week after week. So we'll see about that. Not sold. As for Dan Quinn and the Falcons, it's getting really late, really early in the season for them. You know, he swapped out coordinators. They've got talent. 
receivers and quarterback and running back, and they invested heavily in the offensive line. And I mean, they've got too much talent to be performing like this. And if they don't get it turned around and turned around quick, I got to think there will be a lot of changes made in Atlanta. And rightfully so, quite frankly. Yeah, look, Marcus Mariota's done what you ask him to do. He has thrown seven touchdowns. He's not thrown an interception. And that you can't say about Matt Ryan. No one has thrown more than Ryan's six interceptions through four weeks. They are hurting in Atlanta, not doing anything right, except for Julio Jones continuing to break new ground. All right, let's talk about what happened late Sunday night as the New Orleans Saints get a win over the Cowboys despite scoring no touchdowns, 12-10, a baseball-like score. Saints over the Cowboys. Let's go to Dallas and Mike Fisher, 1-105-3, the fan in Dallas. Fish, good to see you. Morning, boys. All right, so my question to Ross Tucker earlier in this program was, were the Cowboys exposed offensively, or was this just an off night? Oh, probably both. Uh, and, and the Cowboys still think that they won't have too many of those kind of off Sundays or off games, but uh, there's, there was a certain conservatism to the game plan. Now, they all hate that word, and so far, in the people I've talked to in the locker room last night, uh, including Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott, they don't agree with that word, uh, the, the idea of conservatism, but this is a team that in week one, on first and second down, threw the ball 70% of the time, and that number shrunk down to 50% of, of the game uh, in, in New Orleans, suggesting maybe that uh, the Cowboys wanted to shorten the game, but I'm not sure why, because they have a bigger big play offense with Drew Brees unavailable to New Orleans than the Saints do. Um, I'm, I'm not sure why Tony Pollard barely played. I'm not sure why the ball didn't get downfield very much at all. I can't explain why the things they did do didn't work, including Ezekiel Elliott. The, the Saints give up in the first three games of the year, 400 rushing yards and 5.1 yards per carry. And the Cowboys could get nothing done with Ezekiel Elliott, who averaged under two point yards per carry last night. Mike, do you think that we went ahead and, and perhaps anointed Kellen Moore a little too early? I mean, they didn't look great in the first half against the Dolphins last week either, yet everybody's talking about how he's a head coaching candidate and all this stuff and boy wonder and genius. Um, it feels like that kind of got you know, put back to reality a little bit. Did we anoint him too quickly? It, it's completely fair to have talked about him in the first three weeks, Kellen Moore as um, a genius, which is what Dak Prescott calls him, and an animal, which is what fellow Boise Stater uh, Tyrone Crawford calls him, and all these other accolades that, that uh, are on for Kellen Moore in the first three weeks. That's valid. As long as now we do it the other way. As long as now we say, okay, well, he's got a chance to someday be Sean Payton, but he's not Sean Payton now. Because Sean Payton last night just out Sean Payton him. Uh, the good thing for the Cowboys coaching staff is, as we tear it apart this week, and we will here in Dallas on 105.3 The Fan, we, we might want to just tear apart the offensive staff. Because the defensive staff and defensive players, including especially Robert Quinn and Leighton Vanderish, they didn't do much wrong. Uh, four trips into the red zone, and the Saints, as explosive as they are, only get four field goals out of it. The Cowboys only got half out coached. 
Yeah, you wonder with Kellen Moore, the great ones don't just game plan well, they adjust well. And can Kellen Moore at, at this young age, I think he's, what, 31, can he adjust when that defense on the other side is surprising him and doing something he did not expect? We shall see. We should also see about Dak Prescott. The reporting over the weekend is that they are not close to getting a contract done. What's the latest? I knew you were going to ask that. Uh, this... <laughs> This is a game that, and it's not just me as a beat writer in this city. It's it's uh, every beat writer in every city has to deal with this every Sunday morning. And some of those guys are my friends. But the Sunday morning TV breathless reports about breaking, this just happened, when actually it was something that happened on the Tuesday before. And we reported on the Tuesday before, but the Sunday morning national TV shows wait till Sunday to basically re-break it. Uh, you can understand because of what I do for a living how highly annoying that is there is no new news on Dak Prescott no matter how many times Bristol wants to re-break the same story that Dak Prescott doesn't doesn't have a contract yet and in fact uh, this game of close or not close as if we've got some thermometer that we can stick into the all right the mouth we can stick into the mouth of negotiations and engage while we're sitting in Bristol where negotiations are that is really insulting to the audience they remain, and I think this was the case last time we talked three weeks ago, the Cowboys and Dak Prescott remain one phone call away from not close becoming close. Fish, uh, what about Tyron Smith? What are you hearing? That'd be a big loss for the Cowboys. Yeah, Jerry Jones after the game said they think high ankle sprain. People make fun of Dr. Jerry, and he makes fun of himself in, in this regard too. But he's getting that information straight from trainers and medical team, and the Cowboys have a terrific group there. So if they told him last night, early uh, guess at this early diagnosis is Tyron Smith high ankle sprain, then obviously we all know that conventionally, generally, that means multiple weeks. Um, they will probably do, I know they'll do more testing this morning. Maybe an MRI is involved. But in either way, uh, as Tyron Smith gets on the plane last night and he's got a walking boot on, that suggests some level of severity. They better get Cam Fleming ready to play left tackle next week. And then last one for me, Fish, is just what was more concerning to you last night, the inability to run the ball effectively or the passing game? Yeah, run the ball. Because I, I really feel like, and you know this, I, I can take away part of your game. Uh, there, there's things I can take away. But if you take away Dallas's running game and you're asking Dak Prescott then to to be Aaron Rodgers, to be Tom Brady, to be Russell Wilson, you're asking too much. Uh, you, you're not asking Ezekiel Elliott in this running game to be the best in the business and to carry the load. You're asking the passing game to do it. And it's too early for that in the development of this quarterback. No Michael Michael Gallup, by, uh, he's, he's still out, the wide receiver. That would have helped. Uh, and, and it's worth noting, too, you take away the Ezekiel Elliott fumble, and maybe it's a different game. Take away the Jason Witten fumble, maybe it's a different game. And to their credit, both those guys said, totally on me. Uh, Zeke was really bothered by it. He says, this team relies on me on fourth and one to get it and to have ball security, and I, I let my team down. That's kind of a good news, bad news, if you would. That's a sign of maturity out of Ezekiel Elliott. A sign of, well, I don't know if it's maturity or, or what it is. It was interesting video, nonetheless, to see Jerry Jones late Saturday night strolling down Bourbon Street. A couple of tweets pointing that out right around midnight. Is that what makes Jerry Jones lovable? 
Yeah, it, it, I've said this. I think I might have said this to you guys over the years too, Ross, to you in particular, that all the people who think hate Jerry Jones are wrong in what they think. And if you could just get five minutes with Jerry Jones, your your opinion of him would turn around completely. And that night, Saturday night, on Bourbon Street with a diet Pepsi or something in his hand, uh, his bodyguard Roosevelt, uh, as always, by his side, and he's just strolling down Bourbon Street. Went to Antoine's for dinner. Uh, he's he's if if you yell at him, how about them Cowboys? He high fives you back. If you yell at him, who dat? He high fives you back. It didn't help the Cowboys win the game, but it helped Mr. Jones have an enjoyable weekend in what he told me last week is kind of his second home. He, uh, when he was going to school in Arkansas, uh, they, they would take their trip. I get probably a football trip down in New Orleans. And he said, that's where I kind of went from being a boy to a man <laughs> on those trips when I was uh, 19 to 20 years old to New Orleans. So we'll leave the rest of it to your imagination. <laughs> what now he doesn't drink like one of those yard margarita type mixed drinks. What does Jerry drink? Diet Pe Pepsi is a sponsor, sir. Pepsi is a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> I believe though he's on record as also uh, being a consumer uh, of Johnny Walker blue. So uh, okay. sip responsibly. That makes more sense. I was going to say, I mean, the guy's got to have a cocktail every once in a while. Good to see you know, you him do, on Bourbon Street. You, you, could, you, could, you could theoretically do your finest bourbon and your Diet Pepsi. Finest bourbon and Diet Pepsi. God, I hope not. But I guess if you want to hook up the sponsors, that's a smart play. Please drink nice bourbon by itself. Maybe a couple of rocks. That's the way I do it, Fish. How about you? I am not sponsored by any uh alcohol <laughs> so i'm wide open whatever whatever you tell me i drink uh if you make it worth my while that's what i'll sip responsibly we're we're searching for a bourbon sponsor here folks come on give me some bourbon sponsors mike fisher 105 through the fan in dallas thanks for being here appreciate the time thanks man we need ourselves a bourbon sponsor, Ross Tucker. Uh, Tom Brady on WEEI earlier on the Greg Hill Show talking about a subpar effort for his offense and a stellar performance by the defense. Let's hear Tom Brady uh, quickly this morning out of EEI. Tom, do you find it more difficult to game prep or even perform uh, optimally, offensively speaking, when you're going up against a team that has a former member of your offensive staff now working for the other team because Brian Dayball was with you guys two different times and he may know where, you know, he may know a couple of tricks and secrets from the Patriots playbook. Uh, you know, we run similar offenses to them and they run a lot of our plays and protections. And I, I think they have a good defense too. I mean, they, I mean, we've never really played well against that defense. Um, you know, that's, that's the reality. They've always done a good job of, of of, you know, shutting us down at different times. So, um, you know, when we play those guys, we got to figure out a formula that works. And I think execution is where it starts. Um, you know, it's that's part of division opponents, too. We know them. They know us. You know, we try things that worked before. Or, you know, we see things we think are going to work. And it's just you try them and they, they don't work. And then you move on to something else. So, um I wouldn't think too much into that. I think there's a lot of carryover from team to team and coaches and players and so forth. Uh, that's just the nature of the NFL. I think really it comes down to our execution, our ability to 
move the football on a consistent basis, to do things well consistently, um, to have dependability, to have trust, confidence. Um, all those things play a role in, in offensive football. So we gotta we got to figure out how to get back to playing that way. They do indeed. Got a lot to fix. Got three easy opponents to do so. How about Brady on this unbelievable, spectacular Patriots defense? I'm frustrated when we don't, you know, play well. I'm frustrated when we don't score points. Um, I'm happy when we win. It's a lot of mixed emotions. I mean, I think when you win a game, it's never like, man, I'm 100% in great spirits. You know, and certainly when you lose sometimes, it's not like I'm 100%, you know, negative. You know, I'm trying to be realistic about how I felt out there, how I felt, you know, the game was going and, and our rhythm. So I'm just dealing with a lot of different emotions, the ups and downs, the the mental grind of the game, the physical grind of the game. Um, you know, so it's just a lot of mixed emotions. And, I mean, ultimately the goal is to win, um, which, I'm, you know, the defense is playing spectacular. So, you know, I think the thing that hurts the most is the interception you know, because that's, you know, we don't score points. And I, you know, I believe that our defense is going to play really well all year. So, you know, scoring points are at a premium, even if it's a field goal. So that one, you know, that one bothered me the most. Um, but, you know, I got to learn from it and, and uh, you know, not try to squeeze the ball into areas where there's defenders, especially against really good playmaking secondary. And, uh, you know, try to, you know, try to score more touchdowns in the red area and kick less field goals and certainly not turn the ball over. We've learned too many times, don't count the Patriots out. Part of me just wishes we could fast forward to December 8th, Patriots, Chiefs, and what might unfold between these two powerhouses. Uh, but Tom Brady sounds awfully frustrated. Is this what we see early season in recent years, Ross? Well, I mean, cry me a river. They're 4-0, and they got the best defense in football. And he threw a pick in the end zone, which is like a unicorn. He never does that. He didn't play well, and they still won. I, I think, frankly, I'd be very scared if I was the rest of the NFL, if I were the rest of the NFL right now. I mean, I, I don't know what – it's going to take a Herculean effort to beat them at this point. Because you can't expect them to score that few points very often, if ever. And they still won the game on the road against a previously undefeated team. It's scary because that's about as few points as they're ever going to score. Should be fun to see what this team does and rallying the, the troops. But Tom Brady sounds like a man frustrated with the lack of receiving options. You wish you could hear the truth about the Antonio Brown situation mentioned earlier in the program. Uh, Antonio Brown and Twitter feuds with players across the league, with teams, and even with the Patriots owner, Robert Kraft. But Tom Brady still follows him and still likes much of the ridiculous stuff we see on Instagram from Antonio Brown, we will probably never hear that truth until after he is done. But the Brady, uh, we know they rally the troops. Coming up, did the Chicago Bears actually get better after losing a quarterback? And my, how the expectations have changed surrounding the Chicago Cubs firing their manager just after, two years after winning that historic World Series. We'll talk about 
all this next when we go to Joe Ostrowski, 670 the score in Chicago after a quick break. An NFL team loses its starting quarterback, a guy they selected number two overall. Ordinarily, just about every team in the NFL is panicking. Why the hell are some asking if the Bears are actually better despite the fact they're going to a career backup? Let's ask Joe Ostrowski, 670 the score in Chicago. Joe, we're going to get to all things Bears, including Chase Daniel, Trubisky injury, but it was a wacky weekend in terms of the money on the NFL games. How did your betting work out this weekend? Uh, Dave, first off, I would like to apologize for sending you guys Vic Fangio. What a brutal, still no, still no turnovers after four games. They had 36 Uh, takeaways with the bears last year, but still nothing. Uh, I did take the Broncos minus three, so it was frustrating. I'm in the Circa Million, so you pick five games against the spread. It uses that, that as a test to see how I did. I went two and three. It, it wasn't great. It was just oh. wild. Only two home teams won. Uh, the Bears, one of them. Bears and Giants, the only two home teams to win so far in the week. Yeah, I just one thing about that Broncos game, and I'm trying to erase it from my memory. I need like the Men in Black device to zap it. No one, even including the guys doing the game, hit on Emmanuel Sanders for going out of bounds with a minute and a half left inside the 10-yard line. That is a rookie move for a veteran player, and I was stunned the guys doing the game did not point that out. I think that lost that football game for the Broncos. Go down, slide, run some clock. It is if, although maybe that's a coaching thing, maybe they didn't think about it, maybe they didn't talk about it, Please get me out of here, Ross. Get get the Broncos out of my head. <laughs> well, I will, because I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, dive into the Bears. And I, I guess the first question is your opinion, Joe. Then we can go to the sentiment of your callers and the fans there in the Windy City. But your feeling on the state of the Bears quarterback position with Chase Daniel as opposed to Mitch Trubisky? Well, it was nice to see a quarterback enter the game, and a Bears offensive was uh, the QB, was had nice ball placement, actually catching receivers in stride. I mean, the thing with Daniel, the reason he's here is he knows this offense inside and out almost as much as Matt Nagy. He's been in it so long uh, but the guy only has four career starts. I mean, go back to the Kansas City days is when he was spending time with Nagy. He's been used, even though he's a backup quarterback, as kind of like another assistant coach in addition to the QB coach, uh, Dave Ragone. But he had two starts last year, and he was pretty exposed in the second start against the Giants. Uh, the Bears had a great 12-4 and season last year, but they lost at the Giants in part because Daniel ended up throwing a couple of picks. Uh, That's been the big topic, of course, this morning. But the reality is that Daniel is very limited, especially mobility, compared to Trubisky. So you worry about that. And and as far as yesterday goes, I know the Vikings have a good D, but we're still talking about 16 points. It's not like the Bears threw up 25 or 30 points against the Vikings. It was 16 points. Now, they've also had their issues with Trubisky in the playoff game last year, 15 points. Opening night, only three points, 16 against Dave's Broncos. Uh, 
But the better option for the Bears is Trubisky because he has a higher ceiling. But if Daniel can manage the game with the way this defense is playing and they missed Akeem Hicks and Roquan Smith yesterday and they hold the rushing leader to only 35 yards, you don't need much. If you can get to 17 or 20, you feel really good about getting to 9 or 10 wins this year. But we're hoping that it isn't too long. The Bears have a bye coming up after this week's game against Oakland in London. So the guess right now is a couple of games, but Matt Nagy hasn't uh, given any details on that. Joe, is there any chance in your mind that let's say Trubisky's out three to five weeks or four to six or whatever it may be, is there any chance in your mind that Chase Daniel could take this job for the rest of the year? Boy, that is a worst-case scenario because Trubisky obviously has a job because the Bears think he's the better quarterback. They're not just going to worry about grooming a QB, get him some playing time for the future because with Khalil Mack in his prime and the way this defense is, not really regressing. There's no regression, rather. Uh, that's what everybody was expecting in the offseason. Oh, you had 36 turnovers a year ago. There's no way that's going to happen again. Well, they're on pace for 32 right now after eight through their first four games. So they're worried about winning today. That's what it's about. And so they think Trubisky is the better option. But the scenario you threw out there, uh, Ross, if they keep winning, if they win every game with Daniel, and you don't see a bad Daniel game, and the offense starts scoring more points, even with, when Trubisky's healthy, maybe they would say, why don't you sit down a couple more weeks? Chase Daniel has carved out quite a career for himself as a backup, made more than $30 million as a backup. Finally now going to take the starting reins at least for a couple of weeks. Running game still not really on track there, though, in Chicago. Uh, Montgomery, the rookie that everyone expected so much of, two and a half yards a carry. Tariq Cohen used more as a receiver, but he didn't have uh, much luck Sunday. Can they really, I mean, as good as this defense is, they're going to need more from the running game. Where do they find that? Yeah, that was supposed to be the big deal this year. You move up, get David Montgomery. Uh, Nagy thinks he has his three down back in Montgomery, and the usage has been a little shocking. Uh, he's uh, been on the field more, but the success is not there. One of the issues that's popped up over the first month uh, has been a bit of a surprise. Not expected at all has been the O-line play, especially in the first couple of games with penalties, and now they're dealing with some injuries. Kyle Long not on the field yesterday. Um, the, the injuries, an issue with him every single year throughout his career. They're, they're a couple of guards short. So, yeah, Dave, you're right. Especially now, offenses need to score more points. As great as this defense is, they're going to run into some games where they're in a shootout. Okay, and maybe it ends up being in the playoffs, so they have to get get back on track. But as far as yesterday, Negi was just trying to get out of there with a win. He saw the way the defense was playing. They didn't give up any points until there were three minutes left. Cousins wanted nothing to do with that game. He was sacked six times as the Bears forced two turnovers. So, yeah, the offense has to get back on track. And that's why they think higher of Trubisky, because he has the higher ceiling. 
So I want to go back, Joe, to the start of this, and that was you mentioned the callers this morning in Chicago. Are they're bringing up the Giants game from last year, or like how many people calling this morning? That this is one of my favorite things about this show, the Radio.com app, Radio.com/slash/home, is to be able to go to the the source, the heart of the matter. How many people are bringing up? the Giants game last year and saying Trubisky's still our guy versus people saying, you know what? Looks like Daniel knows the offense better than Trubisky. He could be our guy. Can you give me a a rough breakdown? The people that are motivated to call the station to text and send their tweets, meh, it's fine. We'll be fine without Trubisky. Like, How many teams around the NFL are having that conversation? If the starter goes down, it's really, uh, we'll we'll be all right. Not that big of a deal. It really doesn't happen much. Uh, But just throughout the entire city, my experience has been, it is almost down the middle. And it's like politics. People are picking a side. You're either all in on Trubisky, eventually he'll be good, Okay, he's not Mahomes or Watson, but he's going to be good and he's going to break all these Bears records eventually. Give him more time still in year three. They're still saying that. And then there are those on the other side. It's time to move on. Trubisky is not the answer. They need to go find another quarterback and just stick with Daniel. It's really odd, man. There's so many people that are just dug in on one side or the other. So my last question on the Bears, Joe is just about Khalil Mack. Now, you've been there a long time. You've been covering Chicago sports. There's a bunch of different teams. Is there a guy you can compare him to in terms of a a free agent or a trade addition? Obviously, he was a, a trade that came in and has had this much of an impact on one of the teams and on the entire city. It's unbelievable how much he affects seemingly every game I watch. So if you want to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bulls run, the Bulls did trade for Scottie Pippen. The Cubs won the World Series in part because John Lester was a part of the staff and he was the ace for the time. And when he came in, it really changed everything. The Blackhawks gave a mega deal to Marion Hosa. They end up winning three cups. None of them are as impactful as what you see with Khalil Mack. Ross, I mentioned that the reaction losing the starting quarterback at Trubisky was, okay, we can get by. And maybe he's actually the better option because he has a better grasp of the offense. But if Mack goes down, that changes everything. Even though they played without two of their best players on defense yesterday, they didn't miss a beat. Nick Kwiatkowski comes in for Roquan Smith, leads the team in tackles, and he also had a sack. And then uh, Nick Williams, most Bears fans didn't even hear of him before the season started. He had two of their six sacks. Khalil Mack is more impactful than any free agent or trade acquisition that I've seen in this city. And I think there are a lot of fans that didn't understand how great of a player he is since he was playing in Oakland and they were having some losing seasons over in the AFC. They didn't pay as much attention, but he is a complete game changer. And Ross, I I don't know what these teams are doing right now. 
I understand there's a lot of talent on defense and you have to account for everyone, but how are they not doubling Mac on just about every play? The world saw on Monday, uh, Jay Gruden, his team at times wasn't even blocking Mac, which is just insane. So I can't wait to see what happens in London. You get the Mac going against John Gruden, who traded him away from the yeah. Raiders. So whatever the prop is on sacks, I'm going over. Hey, Khalil Mack just needs to walk across, shake John Gruden's hand, and thank him for getting him out of that situation. One of the head-scratching moves in recent years. Talking to Joe Ostrowski, 670, the score in Chicago shifting to baseball. You mentioned the Cubs. I was in Boston in 2004, and when that team won a World Series, everything for the city forever changed. I can't help but wonder if the same is true of Chicago, who two years after winning a World Series is now dumping the same manager that was really the only guy that may have been able to harness that group of personalities and talent and win a World Series. Joe Madden is out. How did winning a World Series change the expectations? And how did Joe Madden put this team, help them gel together, and is also responsible for their downfall? I'm not sure, Dave, if it's winning the World Series or the arrival of Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer and that entire crew. If you told the younger version of me the Cubs are going to win the World Series, I would have told you, okay, whichever manager wins the World Series, they're going to be the Cubs manager as long as they want. And that was not the case. They also made three consecutive NLCSs and the four-year playoff run under Madden just wrapped up. But it's not a big surprise at all because this was laid out there before the season even started. Theo was saying it's a year of reckoning. Everyone must perform or else. And it, it, the entire year, it felt like, okay, Madden's leaving. Even if they make a deep run in the playoffs and were to win the World Series, that would have been a great way for him to go out. They didn't extend him in the, at the uh, beginning of the year. They wanted to see how this year played out. So it was clear that, that Madden was going. The thing is, this year is on Theo Epstein. It's a completely flawed roster. It's a roster that strikes out way too much. They don't have a center fielder, don't have a leadoff hitter, don't have an ace. They walked into the season without a closer, and they blew a lot of games over the first couple of months. But yeah, expectation absolutely changed forever, uh, bringing in Theo Epstein and then also winning that 2016 World Series. And the leading candidates right now, it sounds like former Cub David Ross, who, is, who works in the organization behind the scenes on the baseball side. He's going to be in the mix. Bench coach Mark Loretta is also a possibility. They've also talked to MLB Network's Mark DeRosa in the past, and a lot of Cubs fans bringing up Joe Girardi, local guy, went to Northwestern, has a ring, but I don't see that as a real strong fit. Can you just, like, I, I don't follow baseball that closely, okay? But correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't Madden, hasn't he been a really good manager wherever he's been? Like, what did he do that was that bad that they never gave him a contract extension? Like, did he, has he had a bad year or is it just, they just don't like his style? 
Uh, all of the above, Ross. You pretty much hit on it. If you don't pay that much attention to baseball, it's a little bit of everything. And Theo's going to talk in length about it today during his press conference. Last year, that thing went 90 minutes. So we're expecting to go at least that uh, this year after moving on from Madden and what the hell they're going to do moving forward. He, he completely changed the culture here with the Cubs. I And any pressure... He loved it. He said, bring it on. He would wear a T-shirt all the time that says, try not to suck. He'd say, hey, we're good and we can take down anyone. 108-year drought, that was nothing. We're going to go out and win the World Series. And what happened? They went out and won the World Series. After five years, though, it just sounds like it's time for a new voice. Uh, Some of his decision-making this past season, very questionable. But that's been the case throughout Madden. He isn't your conventional manager. He's going to do things his own way. And he's been ripped in the past, even when they won the World Series, some of the decisions that he was making. It was probably time to move on. But this is the way baseball is going. I mean, Madden was on a five-year, $25 million contract. Managers aren't making that anymore. It's one or two million bucks. And they want the younger guy who can relate to these players. It's been a wacky baseball season, you know. I mean, four teams win at least 100 games. Four teams lose at least 100 games. A lot of teams searching for their identity. Joe Ostrowski, 670 to score. Follow him at Joe O670 on Twitter. Thanks for being here, my friend. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, coming up after this short break, we'll check in with Carrington Harrison in Kansas City to talk about how in the world the Chiefs escaped a win somehow, some way in Detroit, and also the latest on Vontez Perfect. Ross Tucker is going to be happy. We'll have that news for you right around the break. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 